So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. We're back this week with some new releases and a delicious Hell's Lager from Hellbent Brewing Company. What do you think about this beer, Michael? Very tasty. Very refreshing. I dig it. Yourself? I feel the opposite about it that I do about this week's new movie selections that we'll be discussing, which is to say, I love this beer. Just a little hint at where we're going, but it's an eclectic lineup, we can say that much. It sure is. We found a way to introduce The Night of the Hunter, a classic film we've always wanted to see, with uh, some new releases called Valley Girl and Capone. Um, but first, as always, we have first impressions. We're starting with Judd Apatow's King of Staten Island. Let's do it. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Don't be. It's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> you can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm gonna be here forever. Yeah. I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're gonna have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not gonna break. All right, Michael. That was Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. What do you think? Well, it does really feel like a Judd Apatow comedy, uh, especially with Pete Davidson's character kind of filling that man-child kind of role. Uh, a guy who... Kind you know, of or entirely? Uh, yeah, somewhere in the middle there. Um, a guy who has some growing up to do, immature to some extent, still living at home with his mom, um, but it's... Also, where the pathos kind of lies. Um, I'm kind of skeptical about Pete Davidson's ability as a leading man. Um, I, I don't know that I uh, am. I don't know that I find him terribly promising, but um, will withhold judgment. I guess. What about you? Yeah, I'm lined up there. I I don't know how I feel about him as a leading man. Is a very good way of putting him i do like some of his characters i always have he can get me to chuckle bare minimum off of doing stupid things which i find you know valuable at some level when i want to laugh uh he can get someone to laugh especially by addressing how difficult it's going to be to make someone laugh and then doing a character uh, i think the background players marissa tomei bill burr that's bringing a lot of juice for me, um, specifically Bill Burr. He doesn't normally act in film, and this is something that I, I'm very interested in seeing his comedic arc on, and I'd like to see him do a little bit more feature work or become more of a supporting player in 
uh, limited series or television series moving forward. So that that's a little bit more where my head is at. But I'm absolutely willing to give this VOD um, June 12th release a shot. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of supporting characters, I like the sister as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Belle. Powley, I feel like she still hasn't that's not gotten the sister. That's the girlfriend, I believe. The I sister, girlfriend. I believe, is Judd Apatow's daughter. Ah, got it, got it. Um, I like her a lot. I feel like she still hasn't quite gotten her big break. Um, she well, you gave her some pretty big acclaim in our White Boy Rick review. Absolutely, yeah. I thought she was great there. It was a uh, you know another supporting mm-hmm. role. Um, yeah, strong, strong cast. I, I would agree. Belle Powley is always interesting to see what she's going to do. Um, on to Elizabeth Moss feature Shirley. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that one. <laughs> Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs> well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? All right, we just watched the trailer for Josephine Decker's Shirley. What do you think? You know, I genuinely don't know. I was pretty strongly against the Invisible Man trailer. Um, I completely shifted around watching that film, um, which starred Elizabeth Moss and I felt very foolish for doubting it. So I don't want to repeat past mistakes, but a lot of the language that was being quoted is the same exact language I saw quoted for Madeline to Madeline, um, which I was positive on just barely. Um, I don't see that much that makes me think this is a different change of pace um there were a lot of car sequences that i remember pretty distinctly in madeline's madeline there seems to be the same um reach there where they use that to deliver um or she used it to deliver basically essential plot dialogue in a way that seemed to fit the narrative and and not feel forced but i love stuhlbarg i love moss um, you pointed out Logan Lehrman, who played Percy Jackson in the brief attempt at um, making those novels into films. So I'm very interested. I'm absolutely willing to watch it, but a little bit lukewarm on if this is going to be anything new or just a rehash of what I saw Decker do with Madeline's Madeline. How about you? I think I'm much more interested in this than it sounds like you are. When you said language, were you talking about the marketing plugs or like yes. the actual? Okay, got it. Not the language. The no, the, the specific okay. plugs that are quoted in that white text are gotcha. exactly what I saw for Madeline's Madeline. Got it, got it, got um, it. Which I believe was marketed by Oscilloscope, and this one's Neon, which is a little bit more... That signals to me that this might be a little bit more commercial appeal. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that this is about a real person, a writer, um, and yet the trailer doesn't say biopic to me and says, like, psychological thriller, I think is exciting. Um, and I don't know why I had... Uh, imagine something that just felt more explicitly literary um, and that's just not what this feels like to me it does feel more distinctively cinematic and oh degree I think stylistically it does uh, resemble Madeline's Madeline I remember 
the shallow focus so clearly from that movie. It seems mm-hmm. like we're getting a lot of that as sort of this expression of somebody's um, losing their grip on reality. Um, yeah, and I wasn't, you know, hugely positive on that movie either, but, um, you know, it still felt like a really personal voice and, you know, distinctive, if nothing else. Um, and with someone like Moss uh, leading the charge here, I think that sounds super promising. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing that I would say is when you say distinctive, I, in this case, worry about the word rut, R-U-T, where someone can't not do the same thing over again. And that's what I'm worried about. This seems to, I don't know if you remember the narrative beats of Madeline's Madeline, but there was like the party where there's there's a social gathering. There's like a quiet explosion that that where not everybody becomes aware of like the devolving situation. And then there's later the big dance sequence where like everything gets voiced and there's a more explosive thing. I was getting the sense that this is going to repeat those plot beats and that stuff for me as, as someone who just looks at film a little bit more story centric, I, I don't like watching someone tell the same story um, or tell it a different story using the same exact pattern of telling a story. And that's what Mm. I'm worried about based on what I saw in the trailer. But I also liked Mm. the cinematic language that I saw. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is a fine line between repeating old tricks and just refining your stamp. I mean, I think I maybe lean towards the latter here, which I look at that and it's looks to me like, Oh, it's a Josephine Decker movie. To me, that's a good thing. Um, but this yeah, could, I, 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 I yeah. agree that it could be a good thing. I guess we'll find out June 5th. If yeah. I lean towards a Josephine Decker film being a good thing or me going, I already know what I'm getting. Yeah. Which if is you don't like what a jo- Josephine Decker movie is. That's a problem, but kind it, of like an Apatow movie. You, you know, you're getting a man child. Yeah. It makes me curious to go back and see the ones just before uh, Madeline's Madeline, because that was about multiple things. But part of that was about, uh, you know, creative types and kind of an artistic process and um, a teacher telling whatever students stories in a way. And this one's also about um, a writer. So I think just the the thematic um, continuation of looking at artists, I think, is kind of cool as sort of um, a thing she she does. Um, yeah, just worth I'd be curious to see if that was a thing in her earlier works or not. Maybe we'll get to it. It hits VOD on June 5th. Real movies actually coming out in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how. I don't know why, but I'll take it. On to Valley Girl. Hey, come on. Just tell me what happened tonight. Zach and I broke up. Oh, my God, sweetie. I'm no, so don't. Don't. Don't do any of that. We just have no idea what I'm going through. You'd be surprised when I'll tell you a story. See the people walking down the street. They don't know. You were singing and dancing on a fountain. That's how I remember it. Where should we go now? We go over the hill to Hollywood. Valley Girl is directed by Rachel Lee Goldenberg. It is a jukebox musical, a phrase that I was not familiar with before watching this movie, but I do find is a useful term. A phrase that I did not know until right now. 
but I wholeheartedly agree. Do not know the definition and find useful. <laughs> it was not until I went to rent this movie that I saw the phrase jukebox musical and I thought, what is that? But it's just like a mama mia or something where all of the songs sung are covers, essentially. Uh, um, I've not also original. not seen Mamma Mia. So. Ah, gotcha. Um, yeah, that is literally the only other example I can think of off the top of my head. But yeah, musicals where all of the music is not original, apparently. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that phrase. I, I like that too. phrase more than I like, I think, what it actually means. Um, I don't mind it. And <laughs> I didn't mind this movie as you did. I'm not positive on it. I'm the lowest mixed you can be. According to Letterboxd, this is a two and a half. I did a bunch of math and basically ended up between a 46 and a 48 on it, which means, you know, an F in school grades. But according to Letterboxd, that's like a C. I I think when we see a two and a half, we think C, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, two and a half. I mean, that that that's an F, right? Isn't isn't half? Yeah, according <laughs> to grades, 100? according to okay. grades. But yeah, yeah. I think in I think amongst folks that that look at ratings, two and a half out of five is not an F. I think zero out of five we interpret as an F, right? You know what I mean? Mm. The difference there. Yeah, I do. I mean, when I step back and think about my ratings, just like more knee-jerk reaction if it is a two and a half or below like the fact of the matter is like i probably just didn't like it very much like it is it is it feels more close it feels closer to a failure than it does like true mixed where where actually i can be kind of mixed in the three three and a half range and it's truly like four and above is where i genuinely connect with something okay i'm that's just another evidence of where we differ (laughs) yeah worth calling out um but yeah, I, I I I did effectively get nothing out of this movie. I, I wouldn't say I hated it. That's a strong word. Um, I think it's I think it's competent. But to me, that only made it a little more boring. To be honest, sometimes mm. things that are a little more scrappy can actually be kind of interesting and have its charm. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a musical um, with sort of this framing device, right, where a mother is telling her teenage daughter about her experience as a teen living in the valley san fernando valley and falling in love with a boy from hollywood kind of a story of lovers from opposite sides of the track right mm-hmm. um yeah you said so you were you were charmed by the the musical form here charmed boy that's distinctive language and i would not use the word charmed i would use the word pleasant i had a pleasant time i went in with the expectation of very bad um and jessica roth goes a long way towards creating mood for me uh judy greer is a treasure and she always makes me laugh and um i guess lean in she just has the effect of where i lean into the narrative a little bit more even in something like Arrested Development, whenever she's present, she just makes me lean further into believing the narrative, which I think is uh, a charming feature that she has. Um, yeah, it was fine. I would never go to bat for it, but I had a I had a fine time. It's like cooking a, a box of macaroni and cheese and not messing it up. You know, You're like this mm. is exactly what I expected and I didn't mess it up. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the expectations uh, 
are, are very different. I, th I think I did have higher expectations in you. I was surprised to hear you say that you thought it would just be straight bad. Um, I was, so I somehow was under the impression that, that it would be funnier, probably just because it had Jessica Roth in it. Mm. That's, I associate her with funny stuff. Um, so I did expect to find it more enjoyable than I did. Um, and I mean, I could use words that I feel like sound really obvious to describe it as just kind of hackneyed or cliche or corny, which I think the movie tries to defend itself from those words by saying that that's all kind of intentional. Um, yeah, I didn't get defensive posturing, but I guess you could say that. Yeah, I, I uh, get the sense that when in this framing device, the mom says something to the effect of, well, that's how I remember it. Uh, oh, to yeah. the daughter that this is sort of you know supposed to be a a a uh, bright memory of the eighties, which just is the most basic commonplace understanding of how pop culture remembers the eighties of as like bright colors and songs. Like I just I I don't need that in a movie. Like that's mm. that, that that just fails to justify the movie's existence. Yeah, I I mean just to. Baron a little bit more uh this is number one a remake of a film from the 80s i believe which starring I not nick cage which fair. i didn't know until it was over okay additionally i hated about half the numbers and had a good time with half the numbers you know and I, if you look at the cover art whoever's listening you'll begin to see why i thought maybe this movie was going to be trash a movie that comes out with cover art that looks like that looks tells me the marketing budget was negligible i didn't see this marketed we had to look up new trailers in order to even hear about this movie anything that goes that far under the radar i always have a feeling is going to be terrible and when it's not terrible and i i find i guess promising talent um I that that can kind of win me over. I saw a lot of performers, especially the the friends of the of uh, Jessica Roth in this piece, that I think are going to go on to have very interesting careers um, in front of the the camera. I I just I saw a lot of talent there that was being developed, and sometimes that's all you want to see. It's like watching a really bad football game where there's a lot of prospects. Um, there's a lot of prospects in this movie, and that can go a long way for someone like me. Yeah, I would agree. I think some of the friends are kind of funny. Um, I think there are also some atrocious supporting characters, particularly the boyfriend character to Jessica Roth's uh, Logan Paul? character. Logan Paul, correct. Uh, yeah, just like, ins like it's just insulting, I think, to be honest. Um, to him or? To us, to have to watch it. <laughs> I think it's very bad. Oh, I thought it was um, very self-aware of that, which which didn't rub me too poor. Like, I do not like that person very much, <laughs> and I don't really know who he is. I just don't like that style of celebrity, I guess. Mm -hmm. But in, you know, embracing the fact that people don't like you, um, you know, it, it can be charming. Pete Davidson's done it sometimes in a charming way. And then other times mm -hmm. it really doesn't work. Also, you could reference Pete Davidson doing that there too. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this one worked half the time for me where I was just like, he knows that he's a douchebag jumping into a Jeep. This is fine. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad to me. It was just like, who, who else did I want there? 
someone I didn't recognize. Just a good actor, though. Like, I'm always just going to value, like, just 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 normally mm. good talent. Yeah. Uh, I think I was embracing more of the embellished storytelling narrative. So, like, him sticking out and being the bad ex-boyfriend, who's also a bad actor, fit this storytelling narrative in my head. Which might not make any sense for anyone else. Mm. But I was just like, of course she's going to remember him as, like this terrible actor who looks preposterous in something mm. like this because that's her ex-boyfriend and she's the one telling the story. Yeah, that's fair. I can appreciate that reading yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> you just didn't get to have it yourself. <laughs> correct. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the number is the music is, is fine. I guess I just, I just don't really find much cinematic value in it. Like it feels obviously derivative and intentionally so and the fact that this it's purposeful is only sort of like that only makes it kind of worse in my opinion like it seems so willfully uninventive which is just very frustrating um and i don't think i enjoyed jessica roth here i think it's kind of embarrassing to have to watch her not really deliver any of the goods we know she has i think that's just kind of painful uh, i really thought that she might have some opportunity to be funny but i don't think it's there okay that's where i disagree i think that she's the only thing that keeps it on track mm. i think her infectious smile and willingness to act as if this movie is not bad mm. is the only thing that carries any semblance of allowing me to believe that it's not bad for any stretch of time She's the entire reason it makes it work, right? Because we go from her being in preposterously high heels to doing a musical where she's running across car tops in flats and then back into the high heels as soon as she's on pavement. Like, there's a lot of problems with this movie. And she smiles and sings and acts like none of the bad stuff is happening and i i saw immeasurable talent there to just take this thing seriously until the end yeah i i i can appreciate her uh taking it in stride i guess but i you know i think the what the movie asks of her is disappointing um to just see the same kind of one note starry-eyed look in the same smile which is a great smile I, I don't mind that smile, but to just to kind of see this dynamic repeated between her and this boy she she likes, I think is just kind of just painfully mm. cliche. And, I, and I, I think that we might be at the same juncture here. Just you're interpreting the movie as being responsible for that. And that's that's where I'm at with her whole career. I'm just so tired of her not being able to have her range. Like, she has range, and all of her projects have this problem. I would not single this one out. I would say all of her projects. Every single one. Yeah, I... Like, her best in Happy Death Day, far and away. But I don't even remember her in La La Land, as we've discussed. Uh, yes. What else has she been in? Is there something I may be forgetting while we just talk about Jessica Roth for a moment? Happy Death Day to you, the second one, obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, which was more lackluster. But there was a picture she did that I watched that I know that almost nobody else did. And that was called Tater Tot and Patton. Mm. 
And that was an independent feature, um, feature length film where she basically goes and stays with her uncle, as far as I remember it, to learn how or she gets in trouble and has to grow up and her parents send her to go live with her uncle for a summer. And that was one of the most like traumatic roles she had where she like had to mature over a period of time with a character, shift perspective, um, become an adult, um, have a romantic relationship that then ends. Um, and mm. I actually really enjoyed that, but I watched it as a character study for her talent, mm. not as something to, to enjoy as a film, but as something to watch a prospect develop. Um, and so it, it's hard to be objective when you really like a talent and you just want to watch, go back and watch them develop. And that's just, I, I was, uh, reflecting on Rooney Mara's ascent and I was looking into her and also um Florence Pugh at the time just to see mm. how they developed and I believe Emily Blunt I did sunshine cleaning and, and that type of stuff at that time mm. yeah yeah I kind of think of her in the same vein as I think of Zoe Dutch Deutsch Deutsch um as another sort of rising comedian who I think is maybe yet mm. to have landed a um just kind of top tier role yeah, um i, I think i think they're both really funny charming pleasant actresses um that just f they kind of feel somewhat old-fashioned to me in sort of their comic sensibilities um actually I, maybe, maybe i can't take that back i don't i don't i don't know what it is that they seem to share that uh i find promising and exciting i well i think they're both up and coming talents that seem to have similar draws for um you know, casting demographic. But if I was to comp who I think they could become if they're given the opportunities, I think Deutsch is someone who I look at a little bit more dramatically and see more of a Anne Hathaway potentiality in her outcome variables mm. because Anne has a, a great comedic role, but she can also just rock a scene and know that she's playing herself in the scene, which makes it funnier. Mm. Um, and I, I get the sense from Deutsch that she has that, um, confidence to do that. Whereas for Roth, I, my personal comp is more of a Rachel McAdams, someone who's mm. always going to contribute something significant, um, whether it's spotlight or the notebook or game night, you know, mm. a huge range, someone who's a little bit underappreciated, but can really carry something or bring it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. She is definitely what brought me to this movie i don't think we would have watched this had this not had jessica roth that's safe to say we would not have watched this if there was not a closure of all theaters a basically non-existent amount of new releases and jessica roth in this uh jessica roth being in it is definitely the reason we watched it but there's a lot of preliminary things that led to this outcome this week and Word. it was a little bit of a mistake. Um, do you have anything nice to say about it besides um, anything that we've already said? I mean, I think I think the construction is fine. I mean, I don't this I don't think the aesthetics really appealed to me that much. I do I did find it mostly charmless. I think it is fine. It's just not the kind of thing that I find much value in. But for the lovers of movies like Mamma Mia who just enjoy uh, cheery covers, like, you know, if that's that's for you, then do it. Like, that is what it is. That's true. Not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I would agree. It's fine as far as things that are fine go in this in this genre. Um, I, I guess I would say that the direction never rang bad um, based on my impression of the limited assets and budget that they had. So I, I would be interested to see if this uh, director could attach herself to a streaming giant and direct some, um, you know, middle ground content. You know, the third PS I Love You to All the Boys or whatever those movies are. You know, The Christmas Prince, that type mm. of stuff. I, I do think that with some, some opportunity to develop um, in the modern studio system of streaming, uh, she, she could be a very interesting talent. Um, once she has some films behind her and um, maybe knows how she wants to tell stories more. I would agree. I, I think the ability to, to deliver a product is, is there. I may be reluctant to say that I have identified any new personality here, but yes, but you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for why that could be. So I'll, I'll take the most charitable interpretation here. <laughs> Uh, let's try to do our best in, uh, charitable interpretation of Josh Trank's Fonzo, which has been retitled Capone, released by Redbox. How about it for our good friend Al, ladies and gentlemen? Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe that could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. You got goons walking around. I don't think I've seen anything actually released by Redbox. I was surprised when I saw that logo ahead of the credits. I believe I've seen one, but I do not recall what that title was. I don't remember if Seven Psychopaths was a Redbox title when they first began distributing content. Oh, we did see one. We saw one together. We saw that movie pass Redbox one together. Gosh, what was that called? American Animals, right? Oh, I, yeah, I remember that movie. Yes. Um, Redbox, Movie Pass, yeah. Yeah, I believe that combo. Movie Pass and Redbox co-financed that film. I might be wrong there, but I, I believe that was my understanding. Mm. Um, this is a film from Josh Trank. This is his third feature film. You've never seen any of his feature films, and you've definitely not seen his one good feature film, which was Chronicle. Uh, what mouth noises would you like to make about this entry, or would you rather have diarrhea? Well, I was never all that keen on checking out the previous features, Chronicle or Fantastic Four, and I don't think after Capone I will be keen on seeing what he does next. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did not care for this movie. I was, uh entertained enough by it at certain points i think he, he does have some at least cinematic uh efforts here that i appreciate um but by and large uh i did not care for this movie what about you yeah i think you're 
ending couple words there really summed it up. I did not care for this movie. I did not. That's my room impression. I would like to say that I just did not like this movie. I did not. And throw the water bottle. Fair enough. Uh, I was a little just disappointed because I felt like the subject matter did have potential. Um, I still think it does. Yeah, I, I like. I think. I mean, just to throw out, you know, a one of the greats' names. Like, it's the kind of movie that I think Martin Scorsese could direct, like blindfolded with his shoes tied. Like, this just has certain directors, like, like. Name oh, he all could over direct it. it from a hospital bed. One hundred percent. You know, this is. Uh, about Al Capone in the final days of his life when his health is deteriorating. He's kind of losing his mind and he's... And his um, bowels. And what? His bowels. On multiple occasions um, while still being encircled by the FBI and um, people who he can no longer trust to some extent. But yeah, I just felt like there was actually a lot of potential here to explore interesting things like uh, personal legacy, regret... Um, Capone's history, mortality, and I don't think Frank has any real uh, perspective on the story or like any clear sense of what kind of theme he wants to investigate here. Um, yeah, so really just kind of disappointing that I think this like had potential to be good. Or worthwhile, at least. I don't know. I feel like the premise does. I genuinely don't know if I saw anything in this movie that made me think that about this project from this director, though. I think the direction is where uh, this falls apart, for sure. As well as the elite performance. I think the screenplay, also, Mm. because the screenplay encompasses what is directed from, and it was written by him as well. Um, Yeah, this is one of the big misses for me on Tom Hardy's career. I'm just going to say that i appreciate the effort that he must have put in for this character work but i would have rather had taboo season two and just avoided this um it it was like the dream sequences in it a fucking nightmare to watch like i did Mm. not enjoy watching it at all i was watching it with a friend um at one point I cannot see color. Um, at one point I asked, is the color grading off? Why does everything just look wrong? And it took him a minute and he, he was like, yeah, like, I don't know what it is, but something just doesn't look right. And when someone who doesn't watch as much cinema as I watch can at least see that something doesn't look right. And I can tell that there's something wrong, I believe, with the color grading. Um, I don't know. Can you shed any light on that? Did the movie just look flat out wrong to you or poorly lit or incorrectly lit or something? Yeah, it's not a good looking movie. I would certainly agree with that. I don't think aesthetically there's much pleasant here, Uh, whether it's like cinematography, set design or just how this character is like physically shaped. Um, I I think. Yeah, Yeah, I I think it is mostly uh, misjudged. I mean, it it physically looks off, but that point you make about the main character, I do think that Tom Hardy just didn't look right. And I'm not yeah. for, you know, like sticking true to all casting decisions forever. Like, I, I don't care if Idris Elba plays 007. In fact, I actually do care, and I'm very excited at that prospect. Too bad it's over. Mm. Um, 
I just don't care. I do think that he doesn't look anything like me imagining Al Capone. Oh, for and sure. that mm. makes it very hard to suspend any level of disbelief. And it's exacerbated when the film is bad and when the suits don't look right and when the period looks incorrect and when the art deco or the statues look like they're made out of stucco. Like there's yeah. just, there's it's all so very cheap looking much that, that is cheap and artifice. And that could be a really interesting um, artistic purpose to to use i guess but it just doesn't hold any water like that this movie just doesn't work on him on so many levels and the deepest level that it messes up on is doing dream sequences yeah i actually think that's the only thing that kept me going uh was just that it felt like it he at least had the guts to do something a little weird a little different i kind of thought to myself well at least this is kind of unexpected because i literally thought we might just be watching tom hardy sit around and drool and gurgle and just die without like us feeling any real sympathy because the because it's un, kind of um unable to cultivate much feeling um I actually thought that, like, at least that kept this from being boring for me. That's what really gets me down to, like, the lowest tiers of stuff is where, like, I either just um, have a distaste for the project or, like, just am feeling nothing. At least I was kind of, like, diverted enough. So my personal feelings on that are if we didn't have all the dream sequences then he would have had to do something else with that time. And by doing something else, he may have created any narrative thread for me to follow at all that could have any legitimacy to the actual real-life narrative. Instead, nothing has any legitimacy really at all. The most interesting scene for me is Neil Brennan's lawyer scene. And half of that was just because I got to see Neil Brennan earn a paycheck sitting next to Tom Hardy. (laughs) Who is Neil? Oh, he it's Hardy's lawyer or Capone's yeah, lawyer. Yeah, he's also the co-creator of the Chappelle show and he mm. he has a great stand-up comedy on Netflix called Three Mics. Um mm. he's he's a great distinctive comedic voice that I I've, I've always really enjoyed as a person and his scene was like the I, I mean when Linda Cardellini doesn't make your movie better and makes you realize that the movie is actually like bad because she's not able to make it better that's a problem. She always makes things better. Look at Green Book. She's the reason that thing Never works. Saw Green Book, okay. Yeah. Without her, it doesn't even work as a film. Yeah. Um, I would agree. A big letdown to underuse Linda Cardellini. Um, I think the essence of the issue for me was one of kind of just competing impulses where on one hand, this seems to want to find some kind of comic touch in um, this sort of uh, cartoonish um, uh, character and the deterioration of his body and this impulse to uh, find sadness in it. And I think those two impulses kind of just wind up negating each other and you really just don't feel anything. Or I did not I, feel I think that's a great component. point. And I think that the, the scene that really em- embraces every point you just made is the Thanksgiving dinner scene, right? where it attempts to make a joke while also being heartbreaking. And neither of those things happen at the same time. Um, Neither of those things happen. And I feel like in 
as you said, Sorsese, but I, I just can't imagine any of our great directors messing up that type of a tone. Like they, they oh, either sure. make it funny and sad or just sad how hard he's trying to be funny, which ends up being funny or it's so funny how sad it is. Like there's so many different directions. And I mean, I know I'm thinking of top tier talent. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is someone like Quaron after Sorsese, right? But I just, I do think this is the wrong story for Trank to try to come back with. And I, I don't think that Hardy was the right choice for casting. I, I think that I'd rather go with more of a, a no-name talent who's really Italian and, and maybe has legitimate weight in his cheeks so that mm. I, I could believe um, that this is Capone. And I, I, I just never could. I, I never saw anything besides Tom Hardy doing the character study at Harvard, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I thought of Scorsese specifically just because it's in the gangster genre and yeah. it's it's Irishman esque in focusing on an aging gangster in sort of the last days, you know, of his life. Irishman yeah. obviously tells that arc; it goes back, but it's it does the reverse. Here we have the young actor being aged up, and we saw De Niro being aged down, which mm-hmm. I think is just kind of funny. And I don't think, you know the aging stuff in Irishman was always terribly persuasive. Sometimes, especially like the very first shot, you're like, that's a little funky, funky. Um, so even if I don't think Hardy was aged up that much though, right? Wasn't he born in like 1899 or am I wrong? Capone. Uh, you're right. He was, I was shocked to learn how young he actually, he died in 47, right? How they make him look. Yeah. I think he died in 47 and I thought he was born in 1899. I I might be wrong there. Yeah. So I, it, it was like a 12-year jump at the most, I think, for Hardy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you think of, like, if I asked you to think about modern masters, at, you know, or at least ascending talents, if I said, imagine Eggers, imagine Astor, imagine Schultz, this movie's just better with all of them, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Or the uh, Derek C. on France, right? Like, what he would do with a movie like this, I would just be so enraptured by those artistic choices at least abstractly um it's an interesting it's interesting how bad this movie is and how much potential it had but how much vision it lacks 100 it lacks vision yeah I, I would not disagree with that um uh just there's there's no angle to it um thematically and it just feels like a bummer because i think it could have been good in the right hands yeah these are not them do, do you think there's anything that you'd like to try to compliment about Trank? Like, do you think that there's any way that he can move forward? Uh, I mean, I, I'd still like its willingness to just get a little weird with things. Like I actually don't mind that. Like watching Hardy at the end, you know, pull out the, the golden machine gun and mow people down. Like at least it felt a little bold that, that still feels like a little generous. Um, but it still feels like it kind of went for something and it just didn't really find the story it wanted to tell within it. But, uh, so would you equivocate that to like, you're interested in seeing him develop as a screenwriter? Like if you had to try to make a case for him to make a path forward, working with cinema, 
Mm. Where, where do you see him having having the most opportunity uh, or, or like the most strength already that you think that he should develop? I don't know that I really feel comfortable prognosticating after only one movie. I think when in doubt in those situations, I just say like try to make something more personal. Um, mm. it, this doesn't really seem to have um, just the the mark of a distinctive personality, you know? Um I, I got the sense that he didn't kill any darlings in it. Um, and so I, I'd actually take the opposite approach where it's like, you've clearly just been making things that are way too precious. And that mm. worked with your debut, but it hasn't worked since. So I, I would actually recommend like the Steven Soderbergh route, like go work as a gun for hire as a cinematographer, like really learn what it's like to shoot mm. film after film or show after show and, and master those shots and, and feel what they mean. Maybe try like Soderbergh does doing the editing of those films as well, or series mm. like really get a, a feel for your shots and, and your editing so that when you go back to write, you can visually see what, what these shots are going to be like. Um, Cause there's just a lot of, there's so much a lack of tone management that I don't even know that I could tell him to work on tone management. I feel like you have to work from the foundation up based on yeah. what I saw. Cause there's, and there's certainly promise, but it it just is a there. There's a lot of blundering. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'm more inclined to only respond rather than recommend at yeah. this point, and just I will take it one movie at a time. We'll see if you take any more movies. To be honest, but um, let's get on to the great American novel adapted to cinema itself. The Night of the Hunter. Ben never told you he'd throw it in the river, did he? I can hear you whispering, children, so I know you're down there. I can feel myself getting awful mad. Here is all the passion and suspense, the heart-pounding warmth of the best-selling novel that gripped millions. Wake up! Come on! Superb, unforgettable performances by an extraordinary array of talent. Figured I was gone, huh? Run. Hide in the staircase. Run quick. Ruby, shit. What do you want? I want them kids. All right, Michael. At the end of this conversation, I will actually ask you what your favorite scene was. I didn't before because those movies were not worthy of that question. That's not... Fair. There are too many good ones in this movie. You'll I was have, already dreading that question. You'll have plenty of time to think about it. So, The Night of the Hunter is a, uh, I guess you would say, American crime film. To me, it's it's the equivalent of the great American novel depicted on screen. Mm. I'm not as positive on it as you, but mm. I think historically, th- th- this is one of those weird movies where it's not a five to me. But if I was going to recommend 100 movies, this would probably end up in that list. Mm. Um, So like, quote unquote, objectively, it feels like a five. Personally, it's somewhere between a four and a four and a half. Um, There's just a little bit that doesn't make it perfect for me. Um, And none of that has to do with it. It just has to do with my sensibilities. Fair enough. This was no doubt five out of five for me. I love this movie. Uh, I thought it was just a pure masterpiece of 
expressive form. I thought this was just an incredibly um, effective movie and feeling so surreal and dreamlike and just just stunning in its visual realization. Um, I'll be very curious to hear where this did not work for you. I have to think that just in terms of like the craft you responded well but maybe yes narratively less so no i mean like i said it it's more about my sensibilities and when i say sensibilities i mean it's just it's that gut check thing where it's waves is a five i'll Mm. die on that cross it's a five put me on the hill bury me in the water i don't care waves is a perfect movie climax is a perfect movie this for me is not that movie that sings me electric. You know, like it, I really responded to it. I, I think I saw a lot of the adaptiveness um, from German expressionism at, uh, a few years to decades earlier really come through here. Saw a lot of um, Nosferatu queued mm. up style of lighting that I really responded to. I loved the, um, the black shadow against the night sky when they're being dragged in the boat by that wire mm. that you can clearly see in one of the shots, mm. um, which makes it more charming. Kind of like when we watched um, those two films from Houston. No, the two films that we watched, uh, Steel Helmet and oh, Fuller. Naked Kiss. Fuller, Samuel mm. Fuller. It, this really reminded me of mm. um, the charm of Samuel Fuller. Um, mm. There's just something that doesn't resonate with me, I guess. Um, It didn't feel personal to me. Like recommending this movie Mm. isn't a personal thing for me. It's more of Mm. a um, scholarly piece. It it doesn't Mm. find its way into my heart as part of my identity. Um, Mm. And sometimes that's the difference between a five and a four and a half. Yeah. Just just didn't quite get there. That's fair. But it's a, freaking fantastic film 1955 it's one of the best looking films it's one of the best novel adaptations i've ever seen like there's there's so much quality to it i can't believe it's a directorial debut it it will go down as one Mm -hmm. of the best of all time um robert mitchum is iconic memorable distinctive statuesque all those great words that you want out of your leading man in a adaptation of the great american novel yeah, um, completely agreed on those fronts. Um, one thing that just struck me as interesting was that I had, you know, over time heard this sometimes talked about in the context of film noir. It does kind of center on a crime. I have too. It has the light and shadow that you kind of associate with film noir. Um, and it doesn't, it is not the kind of film that like I will, that I think of when I think of film noir. I, I just do tend to think of those uh, more urban set kinds of stories, Smoky. crime stories. Yeah. Um, There's not much smoke here. Well, I, I would have said there was a lot of fog. I mean, I, I think the there atmosphere is, fog, is but there. But I, I mean, sure. smoke. To me, noir is literal smoking or or mm. uh, smoke stacks on, on mm. boats or in the city. Mm. And the lack of actual smoke to me, like you said, urban environment. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think there are plenty of noirs like set in the country and, and set in the daytime and stuff. But, um, you know, I think one of the qualities of film noir can be some dreamlike qualities. It is sort of where realism meets that expressionism, right, mm-hmm. that you get in the light and shadow. Um, 
But what's also so distinctive about film noir to me is moral ambiguity. Like, we're on the side of the criminals usually, or often, um, and we're having anti-heroes and people that we can maybe sympathize with even though they're criminals. Um, and he, But here, like, the dichotomy is so literally black and white between good and evil. Like, there is nothing sympathetic about Robert Mitchum's character. Um, it's just interesting to me how uh, this fits in any conversation of film noir because that dichotomy seems like what part of the essence of this movie is um while stylistically i i I get the connection yeah i i would say first that this reminds me most of german expressionism specifically when um he approaches the first night um i i believe it's the first night and um the boy is standing up talking and all of a sudden his hat and his head mm. are oh, through yeah. the window and just plastered on him. Like there's just certain visuals here that speak volume. Um, yeah, I guess it, by the end it was hitting me over the head a little bit with its message, um, which might be mm. one of the things that I didn't care for. It's, it's a particularly um, faith riddled um, book. It appears and film, um, you know, our, our, christian preacher impersonator here is the evil character who has the tattoos of love and hate and he's always telling the story about love conquering hate and then he ends up being the hate that is conquered um that was a little bit too charming for me i guess that ending um it, it was a little bit too over the head with its message and maybe that thing that specific event is where I just get a little bit off. What I really responded well to was when I was in the boat with the kids and they get out and she's got the the switch and she's chasing them up and it's just another adult who's a villain or who can't help them. And that's when mm. I was really enjoying this film was when they were on their boat ride yeah, um, yeah. and dealing with the drunk uncle. Yeah, to me, that's where it really went up a notch in terms of its dreamlike quality because it's so Mm -hmm. quick once they like take off in the boat that pearl starts singing i think Mm -hmm. and we're getting those shots of the animals and the the starry sky and i think those are used to make soup is that what she says uh no that's what the boy says when (sighs) they when we see the turtle oh right 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 but i don't know Uh, how to get it open yeah yeah uh it's certainly has this like sense of wonder that up until that point it certainly just felt more almost just more like horror mm-hmm. um where that sort of moves from nightmare into fairy tale i think is just sort of a incredible transition um and just so kind of wonderfully surprising um so yeah that worked for me as well for sure um I like the music as well. I think the score is great. I would agree. Very, uh, very much adds to the atmosphere. Um, what else? This, this thread of the misogyny in him, I thought was interesting in knowing that this will be remade at some point. Right. Um, I think universal. Oh, really? I think universal said they were within the last like six months that they were going to remake night of the hunter. That's terribly disappointing. Terrible idea. I will. Terrible. I'm going to say right now that I'm not going to watch it, and then they're going to attach a director I love. So, like, Damn it. I'm not going to watch it unless it's a director I love. Yeah, I, I, I thought to myself that, that I could imagine that being the angle 
that uh, a 2020 or 2021 film leans into. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could do a completely urban update and like use a car ride instead of a a boat, but this is just such a singular piece of, of American film history. It's not like Scarface where the better version was a remake from Brian mm. De Palma, according to consensus. Mm. I, I don't like that film personally. Um, and then remake it a third time, which Universal just announced recently. Mm. Um, this is a movie that I just don't feel like belongs in that cat. It's like a rope mm. or, or vertigo. Like, what do you mean remake? That's not birds. You don't remake birds. You don't re- remake. Um, gosh, what's the Orson Welles film that I'm forgetting now? Uh, Citizen Kane, mm. right? You don't remake that. Yeah. To me, I've always thought that the remake thing is backwards where they remake the great movies. It's like, why not remake the movies that were like so-so and make them great? Like, Or, or like bad horror movies that have great followings. Yeah. To me, it's like the things that were missed opportunities where something didn't quite work, like try it again. Do it. Do it differently. Yeah. Uh, leave the good ones alone. Exactly. It's painful. A- anyways, back to this particular film. Um I, I guess, how do you feel about the first quarter to first half of the film in which everyone mm. is still alive and everything is unfolding, right? Because that last portion is just so quick and you're so far in that that kind of, that feels like a perfect part of a film. If mm. I had to pick like perfect parts of something, that's one of them, right? The chase sequence, um, when they're transporting the Joker, I guess, um, or transporting Harvey Dent would be like the second one from the dark Knight, right? The shootout Mm -hmm. from heat or like, these are considered perfect cinematic moments. I do think Mm -hmm. the entire second half of this film almost is a perfect cinematic, like through line, Mm -hmm. but that first half, I am a little bit more undecided on. Oh, I, I think it's brilliant that we meet him so fast and within minutes we're hearing him talk about the like 10 to 15 widows he's murdered for their money and he so quickly establishes himself as completely deranged by religious belief which just only sets the which it just sets the foundation for the terror that are coming for these kids and it just that just feels like the monster that will just haunt their nightmares. And that's what this feels like. I I like that it establishes very quickly what the threat is. um, Because I think it just makes it that much more chilling. Um, What about you? Yeah, I I think I agree with what you're saying. I I guess where I experienced a little bit more questioning, not not derisive or negative or, or anything, just like, I, I don't know how I feel about the briefness of the jail sequence um, mm. or how instantaneously he appears. Like, I don't know if I would have preferred a little bit along the mm. way there um, just to make me, I, I guess the the thing is that I'm, I was never on his side at all, even a little bit. Mm. And I think that maybe I would have had a, a possibly enhanced experience if, there was a little bit more, particularly in that first thread. I can see that. It does move fairly quickly uh, from introducing us to him through him getting picked up, through to jail, then him being on his way to the town. It is a 
snappy first act, I guess. It, it really is. <laughs> I, I do um, really appreciate the thread of knowing that there's money, but not knowing where it's hidden. And then the reveal at night when she's cutting mm-hmm. the dollar bills um, and seeing the, the dollar bills uh, blown by the wind past Robert Mitchum's feet, but it's dark. So he doesn't see it. Like there, there's just a lot to love in, in this picture, I guess. I'm, I'm just looking for mm. the area to have a conversation about maybe a weakness. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I can totally understand that. Um, I think the style just hooked me, transcended mm-hmm. that, I guess, but understandable. Um, I particularly liked the mother character played by Shelley Winters. Um, did you have a response one way or the other? Yeah, I, I, at first was confused at my own magnetism toward her is the mm. only way that I, I became aware while watching that I was very drawn to her as a performer. And as it continued, I, I was just kind of fascinated by that. There's certain stars that just have the it factor. You know, we recently talked about Julia mm. Roberts. I wouldn't liken her to a Julia Roberts, but there's something about the it factor and the magnetism that's similar there. And, um, I mean, gosh, seeing her corpse at the bottom of that pool Mm. in the car is one of the most distinctive pieces of cinema that I can think. Like, that is Sunset Boulevard, Vertigo, Clock Tower, memorable. Mm. The, The quality of lighting, the cleanness and clearness of that shot, the cleanness of the water. Um, what a memorable scene. Oh, yeah. There, I feel like that there are many images that just kind of get seared in your memory that's definitely one of them for sure um i I love the scene where she's just found out essentially just figured out who exactly he is and why he's there and she she sort of just in that like somnambulant state just kind of accepts that she about to be murdered Mm -hmm. and that she looked like she's already laying in a coffin or something like that i think that was just I don't know this you know this is from 1955 i get that some people just can't get past uh the craft of old movies and whatever but for me that was like deeply troubling to see someone just so acceptant of their their fate in a situation like that i thought that was quite unsettling um since this is so much about his ability to persuade people to for people to kind of fall under his spell and to see her just lie down and, and take it in that um you know kind of like cathedral of a little house was was very troubling yes i think that that didn't bother me so much as the entire arc building up to that in which he shames her for on her Mm. wedding night wanting to have sex with him and also very troubling i would yeah just the entire religious um hierarchical takeover of her freedom of choice and uh agency that i mean that stuff just bothers me and in this film it delivered on my (laughs) instincts of being bothered by that very troubling uh yeah uh having her size herself up in the mirror the 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 shaming of it's bad It's, Mm -hmm. it's it's tough it's tough to watch um agreed yes um you mentioned the cathedral likeness of the house um i i do think that if I had to say the second most memorable scene, and there's a lot of them, but I 
and I don't know that I would pick one, but in general, the uh, the camera on the far side of that top level, when mm. you see the triangle and the lighting and just the entire room and the staging, that sequence is so sumptuous and elegant and and just entire it's lit perfectly it's framed perfectly the staging is like it's just one of those perfect sequences whenever that upper portion appears from that far pan side yeah yeah very effective stuff um yeah that was just where my mind went looking at that triangle which is just so striking that it just felt like like this is what he sees as his church he is the preacher mm-hmm. of this establishment yeah um very very unsettling um but yeah shot wise i also love the kids in like a barn or yeah. something like that that's right? the other one that like gets in the way right is thinking yeah. about them in the barn pearl laying down sleeping him um i believe like sitting and looking out the window and eventually we see uh robert mitchum ride by but yeah. just that yeah. entire sequence is just one of those things that sits with you yeah i don't know if it's in that scene i i want to say it is but that's i think where the boy says something like doesn't this guy ever sleep or something like yes that's exactly Um, what he says when he's singing on the far side yeah that just felt particularly nightmare like to me the idea of just a sort of endless chase being um sought after by evil incarnate just feels like a particularly nightmare like fear um very very effective it does you're right it it does go from a point of feeling like a nightmare or near a nightmare particularly i I think the most key sequence there is the underwater shot of her dead body for sure um and, and maybe beginning the transition to fairy tale or at least in cementing the nightmare um i don't know which i, I don't feel comfortable making that like a yeah, set yeah. assertion um but there's that is definitely like the crucial event in that transition. But somewhere along that journey, it, it does begin that fairy tale feel. And it's not just the barn. It's, it's absolutely everything to do with the close-ups of the animals and yeah, the, yeah. the quietness of the babbling river and just the continuance of that and the repetition that, you know, that is what fairy tales are, the repetition in their journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still don't know that I, know what to make of the animals necessarily i i enjoyed that sequence but just the the quickness with which it goes from that feeling like they're being chased to this very peaceful kind of moment just seems to suggest how fine that line between a dream and a nightmare can be and how those can just so seamlessly uh you know fall from one to the other um just struck me I guess, um, yeah, yeah, but I don't know that I have a a, a reading on the animals. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're supposed to. I I think that it does two things, right? It it exemplifies the beauty of America, and secondly, it it just shows you the beauty of that countryside within this narrative. That there's a dead body of their mother in the water in a piece of technology. There's a drunk man who's the only guy that he can trust in town passed out in his um, houseboat because he found the body and thinks that he's going to be blamed if he says anything. And then around them on this riverbank is all this beauty 
and at the bottom of that river is their dead mother. I, I think that it's a, a contrast mm. purpose in the yeah. book. I don't think that it's an objective point. Yeah. Um, in the film, I don't know if it was in the book, but to me, it's just about the contrast of the the river of life. Yeah, just the the idyllicness of the countryside being tarnished by this evil. This is what's this is the goodness of it. Yeah, I I don't know that that seems a little bit for me that has a little bit too much um, angle on it. I mm. I don't know that I would say that the purpose is to show mm. you the evilness or you know because well, maybe yeah, the purpose yeah. is to show you the beauty. As That's well. what I meant. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was the point of contrast too. Yes, yeah, I'm yeah, repeating yeah. what you said. I agree. Okay. <laughs> uh, final act with the. Lillian Gish character. Uh, very engrossing. Very, okay. um, a very good time during the shootout sequence. I, as I mentioned, the Christmas scene was a little bit rich for me. Mm. Um, that the hitting me over the head with the message. I never respond well to that when the movie's over and you tack on the final scene to make sure that I got the message because I just never like that stuff. I don't know if that was part of the book or not. Yeah, that is certainly the most like jarring tonal shift. That is a an awfully cheery note to end things on after yes. quite the uh, dangerous journey these kids have been on. I I was content to have it end when he gives the money up, beating Robert Mitchum. Yeah, yeah, I think it works. I, I agree. I, I can fully understand that complaint. It works for me only because it's been so surreal up until that point that it just feels like another sort of shift in mood that just feels like how dreams can work. They can be terrible until they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the strangeness of that I find in itself kind of appealing, but that I think is sensibility related. Yeah. Um I guess we're at that crucial time. What's your favorite scene? Well, I think my favorite shot is probably from the barn that we've already talked about of Mitchum uh, riding up kind of over that hill. Um, that's probably the one that is most seared in my mind and that I'll think of when I think of this movie. Um, what about you? That's tough all right i gotta do part a part b so the one that i would have to say is my favorite shot is actually the opening sequence when he's arrested um and he has that interaction with his son and forces his son to agree to protect his sister no matter what um not tell anybody where the money is all that stuff same goes for you pearl i i found that sequence to be essential but also meticulous and believable and um one of those rare shots that's filled with melodrama but doesn't um sour a film through its melodrama um and that that just goes a long way for me and part b very quickly is the underwater scene um when i saw it i just thought you'd never been able to do this without hitchcock's work and i'm so glad that we have Mm. hitchcock's work so that we have these underwater scenes from this period Mm. Um, it's just such a distinctive, beautiful, dreamlike shot there. So, word.
That was Night of the Hunter, and that's another one in the can. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.